other stations promise outstanding content, but when it's time to deliver, they fall flat on their ridiculous faces. Enter LA Talk Radio, a cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk station that delivers totally original content without any commercials. Log on to latalkradio.com and get involved with the best talk radio station on the internet. LA Talk Radio, we say what we want. The morning show that's on your side. But then again, so is appendicitis. And now it's time for the best morning show on radio. Broadcasting live from the palatial studios of LA Talk Radio in Studio City, California. Get ready for Sam in the morning. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday. Today is May 22nd. We're back with you as always. I got to get used to uh, turning down the music on this thing because uh, our other opening was not the <laughs> same. And that one sort of like faded by itself. But uh, <laughs> there we go. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Today is Wednesday. And I'm not alone here. I'm here with a very beautiful woman named Mia. Welcome to the show, Mia. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know what you all are thinking. If you've been listening for the past couple of days, you're thinking, oh, my goodness. Another British girl. What is up with this LA Talk Radio? Yeah, what here? is it? Where's <laughs> all the Americans, you know? I know, right? But it's funny because uh, actually that is not the way I talk. I am from Eastern Europe. I am model and... Uh, oh, okay. So, I see. Okay. But you went through England to learn some accent and then you came here. Oh, yes. So, you're actually from Czechoslovakia? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, no, okay. just kidding. I am from India. I am a Bollywood star. Now I am here in Hollywood, and I am oh so excited God. to be here. Oh, my God. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I am totally kidding. Okay, all right. I'm Welcome from Chicago. To the show. <laughs> this is a Chicago girl. <laughs> That's a pretty good accent. Thank you. That's good. Thanks. I'm not very good with accents, but I love listening to them. I like when people do impressions and stuff, you know. Yeah, it's fine. It's cool. So, uh, welcome to the show, Mia. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Yeah, Mia uh, was on the show as a guest a couple weeks ago, right? About two, three weeks ago. Yeah, I think it was on Friday, right? Was it Friday? Oh, it wasn't very long ago. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Not this past Friday, but the the, the Friday before that, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, it was this. No, okay. It was Never mind. The show. It doesn't really matter, yeah. <laughs> but it was a week before the show. Yes. Yeah, okay. So if you guys want to listen, uh, you were on the play Pieces of Ass uh, that took place last uh, su- Saturday night, right? Uh, oh, Friday, Friday night. night. I'm uh-huh. sorry. Yeah, you see, I'm totally not, not here. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, guys, uh, we have a very special guest in the studio, a surprise guest, and we'll get to him in a few minutes, so you got to stay tuned. Um if not for me, if you're getting, uh, after five and a half years, maybe people are getting bored with me. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the show is really doing better than ever, you know, which I'm very proud of, you know, because yeah, when we great. started, we had like a, you know, a handful of listeners and now, you know, all over the world and we get uh, emails and responses from people all the time, you know. So it's really cool. So, um, over to you, Mia. Um, let's just, um, for those who didn't listen and stuff, just a reminder, you're originally from Chicago, right? Yes, I am. And Born and raised. Really? Mm-hmm. And when did you move out here? I moved out here when I was actually 19. Are you serious? Yeah. I wow. I was all by myself. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't know anybody. And right. uh, I pretty much had fulfilled all the goals I had set for myself back home. I right. only went to high school for three years. I graduated early. 
and went to college for two years, got my associate's degree in psychology. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah, and I'm like, all right, I pretty much did everything I wanted to do here. So I <laughs> yeah. thought I'd pack my bags and move to Hollywood. And Sounds I good. I always knew I wanted to be out here since I was a kid. So. Really? Oh, yeah. Had you been here before you moved? I have. When I was, uh, I think I was nine years old, and mm. we did a family vacation. Mm-hmm. And we started from San Francisco, and we drove all over and ended up in L.A. Really? And I just, I, I loved it. Cause really? I was I was always, you know, on the stage and making home videos, you know, since I was really, really little. <laughs> really? And, uh, yeah, started commercials soon after I uh, got back home, and wow. as well as the live theater. So, uh, yeah, I've been uh, I've been in the game for quite some time now. Wow, wow, <laughs> awesome. Listen, you can lower this thing if you want so you oh, can look. Because okay. yeah, I, I see you like struggling. Yeah, over the top. I like, know, there you go. This is much better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, so you moved to L.A. Uh, on, on your own. The, did yes. you, you didn't know anybody here, huh? I didn't know anybody. Wow, that takes no. a lot, a lot of courage to do that, you know. So, uh, so you've been acting and in, in, in commercials and and probably modeling and stuff too in Chicago mm-hmm. and stuff. Did you do that as well? Oh yeah, I did yeah. it all. I would um, I would be called something of a triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see that. And uh, so, well, so you moved to LA now. How did you uh, how did you get started? I mean, how did you find like gigs? How did you settle into the city? I mean, it it sounds like insurmountable almost. No? Well, it's uh, it's it's actually it's it's kind of funny if if any of you listeners happen to go see the show Pieces of Ass, my piece was actually about Hooters, which yes. <laughs> really which <is> amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because the way it starts off, nobody on earth would expect me to you know say that next. Um, but when I started working there, I was kind of expecting to, you know, transfer mm. out here. And I thought, well, I'm going to be that typical, you know, starving actress waitress combo. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll start here and then transfer my way out here. So at least I'll have a job. Right. But as soon as I started there, they were like, oh my gosh, you have to send in your pictures. You should try out for the calendar and the pageant. And there's so many things that you know, this company does. So that's and after you started working for Hooters? Or what? Right. I was oh, only really? working there like barely a week and I sent my photos <laughs> in to try out and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you're, you're great. Let's put you in the pageant. And wow. I did and I placed third one or up and wow. I met so many great people and just through my connections that way right. kind of helped me to get out here. That's cool. So, and it also yeah. did help that I was SAG after us so <laughs> <laughs> before I moved out here. <laughs> oh, really? Wow, that's cool. Uh-huh. A lot of people really work hard to get it, right? Yes. Yeah, I had no idea. You have to try to like earn vouchers and stuff. I just, I was kind of forced in the union with really? you do so many commercials. Exactly. You kind of have to join. Do. And right. in Chicago, you, you don't really want to become union. You want to be non-union because there's more work. Right. But I was like, well, you don't understand. I'm going to be moving to LA. I need to be union. I want this. So yeah. It worked out pretty so well. So you got it. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And so you worked for Hooters. Now, what was that like? I mean, the the funny thing about this place is I know 20 years ago they already decided, oh, we're going to make this like a family place. But the thing is, is that at the same time, they're known for something else. So it's like, why try to be something different from what people know you as? You know, so how was it when you worked there? Did they, uh, were they trying to promote it? Promoted as a family place? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We had high chairs and kids' menus and crayons. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. When uh, when we'd see, you know, little kids come in, we'd either get them like a high chair or a booster seat and we'd right. get them some crayons. 
sometimes. Okay. And there, there's actually a kid's menu, like right. a whole separate menu just for kids. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And you know what? I've I've noticed that uh, women don't mind going there. It's a nice atmosphere and stuff, you know. I love oh, the chicken sure. wings there, although you uh, made fun of them on the show, oh, I, I think, right? <laughs> but I don't I know. I enjoy them there and the beer and stuff, you know, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, But you know what? For the most part, I don't, you know, many times I find the girls are not that attractive, you know. I mean, the thing is, or, uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, some, some locations, they're just not as great, you know. I mean, you go there to see some hot chicks and stuff, yeah. but at the same time, I never really looked at it that way. I'm just going really for the beer and the chicken wings, you know. And, uh, of course, you know, I mean, it's it's not hard on the eyes and stuff, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, yeah. how long did you work there for? I worked there for about a year. Really? Because once I had started, I wanted to move out here sooner. Right. But I felt like I was doing so much with uh-huh. the traveling. I was on tour like, with the calendar signings and everything. Uh-huh. I was in the Virgin Islands for a week filming like really? a TV show with them. It was uh-huh. crazy. So, I felt like I... You know, I feel like I have to be loyal to them because they really kind of gave me a big kickstart. So I'm right. like, I'm going to finish out the year of all the traveling and being a part of it and then move out to L.A. I see. Okay. So, so you worked at Hooters back in Chicago, not here. Yes. Okay. Back in I got you now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so what did you start doing here right away? I mean, you probably needed a job too, right? Yes, I started working on a show called Zeke and Luther. It was on Disney XD, and I had a little role um, of Betty. It was a mm. it was a place called Don's Donuts that the two lead boys would go to all the time. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I was a waitress in Don's Donuts. So well. I, you know, have little bit lines here and there, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a <laughs> that's a that story was my first of gig. Yeah, yeah, that's a story of being an actress in, in entertainment. You know, it's not that easy. No, it's so, not that easy. <laughs> that, now, do you find yourself being uh, pretty busy here now that you've lived here for a while and? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's. Busy, I mean, huh? and it's definitely. It's like a roller coaster. It's. Yeah. It's up and down. All of a sudden, like I like. I like to say, when it rains, it pours. Right. You know, you get one thing, and then you're just on a roll, and wow. everything comes after that. So. And that feels good, huh? I mean, you don't have to like sit there and wait for the jobs. Although they say the biggest part of being an actor is just wait, waiting for a job, you know, oh, for, for sure. a gig and stuff. For do you sure. still do commercials in that as well, or did you graduate to? Uh, film now and I, I still do I still would commercials yeah. are tons of fun yeah right yeah and it's a bread and, bread and butter for you right I mean and, and uh, you get a lot of residuals from commercials too right oh yeah which is nice oh yeah I love residuals yeah. they always seem to come at the right time too like out of nowhere <laughs> you're like oh man I'm really I'm really hurting for money this month and rent is due and it's like oh Wow. Oh, look, a residual. Yay. <laughs> and then wow, I'm saved. Cool. Yeah, for sure. So um, so for the most part, so you've been in L.A. for what, a few years now? And uh, yeah, almost three and a half years. Wow, mm-hmm. wow. And uh, apparently you like it, right? I do. Yeah. Now your family's back in Chicago still? Yes. Okay. Yes, they, they all are. Cool. And you made yourself friends here and everything, so you're good. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much that. I mean, you can never have too many friends. You know, That's of course, true. L.A. is being so known, you know, as like the flaky town. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but there are yeah, great, but a I've lot got, of great I've people I've got a couple here. really great friends, so I'm very thankful for that. That's awesome. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so you get the opportunity to actually co-host with me when we have a guest in the studio. 
which Yay. is an amazing thing because we have guests a lot. And uh, so we'll bring our guest into the studio. And this was a surprise because um, I wasn't prepared for this. And then, you know, I got an email and asking, you know, I have a couple clients. Do you want to check them out? And one of them was Billy Hayes. And I thought, I know the name. I definitely know the name. That's a great name. Yeah. Billy Hayes. It's a very <laughs> strong sounding name. I like that. But it stayed <laughs> with me from the 70s when I saw the movie Midnight Express. And uh, I remember, uh, Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Now, what was the name of the actor that played you uh, in the movie? Brad Davis. Yes, Brad yeah. Davis, right. He did a few things after that, but now you don't hear of him anymore. Oh, Brad huh? died. Brad, oh, he died. Yeah, Brad died of AIDS back in 91. Uh, really? Yeah. Wow, I miss, some I miss time Brad ago, Davis. huh? And he put his heart and soul into the movie. That's why I think the film held up so well. Yeah. Alan Parker's a brilliant director, and Brad Definitely. gave us all. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Talk just a little bit closer sure. to the mic if you can. Um, so, yeah, I mean, now the the film came out in the 70s, right? Like what, 75, 78? No, I escaped in 1975 and wrote the book in 1976, and the movie came out in 1978. I see. Okay, yeah. so that's when it wow. first came to right. my uh, to, to my uh, attention. And, uh, yeah, I remember. So, this was pretty tough. Now, was the movie pretty close to what you wrote? Did it pretty much describe? Emotionally, the film was pretty close to the book. They made mm -hmm. some major changes, some of which, as a filmmaker myself, now I can understand why. Like, the escape in the film is almost like an afterthought. Uh, he steals a key and skips out the door. I always oh. say if it was that easy, <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't have taken me five years to do it. I actually escaped off an island in a rowboat. Wow. One stormy night and ran through Turkey for three days. Made for wow. Hollywood ending. In fact, yeah. if they had done the real escape, people would have said, great film except for that made-up Hollywood ending. But, <laughs> yeah. but oh, wow. uh, I, I asked Alan Parker. He showed me the movie for the first time in a little screening room in, Col uh, in New York at Columbia. And all by myself, I watched this film. I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I could barely breathe, all sweating. And Alan said... Uh, well, Billy, what do you think of the film? I said, I, I, I love the movie. I miss my rowboat. What happened? Right. Because you know, I literally yeah. had my life back in my own hands again, right. rowing off this island. Yeah. But I understand well, we'll get why to they that. did it. We yeah. want to hear the sure. story from okay. the beginning right. and stuff. It's a so. long story. It's a long story, <laughs> huh? <laughs> and it continues, strangely enough. <laughs> Great. Now, so let's go a little bit uh, back. Where, where were you born? Are you in uh, California? I was, no, I was born in the Bronx. Oh, in, in, in New, New York. York. Yeah. And I uh, grew up in New York. I went to... Uh, College in Milwaukee at Marquette University. I was in journalism school. I wanted oh, to be a, a how writer. did you end up there? Is that, I was, was a, writer. a good school I, for journalism? Yeah, exactly. Had a good J school. Uh, I've always wanted to be a writer, uh, you know, because I like writing and you don't have to dress up, wear a tie. <laughs> I hated that, so kind of <laughs> went in that true. direction. In fact, I quit college just prior to graduation, yeah, so I could go out in the world and experience life, so I could write about it, like my hero, Jack London. Yeah, there and you go. And I experienced a whole lot more than I bargained for. Yeah, yeah. Wow. for sure. Uh, have you been to uh, New York, Mia? I have, yeah. actually, yeah. What, what yeah, part, in Manhattan that. and stuff? Yeah, I've never been to the Bronx, i got to tell you. You're yeah. not missing much yeah, these days. <laughs> the Bronx is pretty tough, pretty tough place. Manhattan, yeah. essentially, is the New York that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. But right. see, I know Chicago because from Milwaukee... When we were looking for a good time, we'd get in the car and drive south oh, to yeah. Chicago, which really? was a oh, big city sure. at the time. There wasn't much to do in Milwaukee? Well, yeah, there was, there was. But Chicago was, you know, that's, Chicago was a really kicking city. And yeah. I loved jazz, which I really got into down in Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting. State Street. So uh, so you went to school for journalism. Right. And uh, after you finished school, where, where did you move to? 
Well, I almost finished school, and then I went out into the world. I did a lot of traveling. I uh, traveled back and forth to Istanbul three times, smuggling hash. Now, ha- hash, of course, for those who don't know, is, is pot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. I want to find out like how you ended up in that place. That so, was how I ended up. I yeah. Left, at college. I was, so you left college in the middle? Well, no. I was uh, 14 hours shy of graduation when I left school. I was working part-time as a child psychiatric aide in County General Hospital, a job I got one night I, I met. Turns out to be the head nurse at a party. And I, I asked her for a job, and she said, you know, what do you think this job is? I said, I child psychiatry I'm, uh, taking, making friends with the kids which I'm good <laughs> with kids she said when would you like to start <laughs> and the next day she brought me onto this locked up ward with all of these uh, really disturbed autistic kids and you know I worked with them for about a month or so and uh, wow. it was just I was so I was so young I was 22 and emotionally uh, it was so draining that every break time I would just have to get off the ward and walk around the hospital just to chill a little bit and one day I walked past the cast room and I see this doctor dipping a roll of plaster of Paris tape uh-huh. into water, uh-huh. wrapping around someone's leg and making a cast. Mm. And an idea came to me <laughs> that literally changed my life. And yes. six months later, I was in Istanbul, strapping hash to my leg, wrapping a cast around it, oh and then clumping God. out wow. through Istanbul customs and clumping back through New York customs, and then selling hash to all my... Everybody smoked pot. Selling hash to right. all my friends and making a chunk of money and buying a motorcycle and I rode around Europe on a bike and I ran with the bulls in Pamplona all that great stuff that I wanted to do so I could write my books about it right so how did you get into I mean you probably were using uh, marijuana and stuff yeah, at the I time smoked, I smoked right pot. everybody did so yeah so it what point did you decide I'm actually gonna smuggle this shit my friend had come back from Istanbul and he'd had two plaques of hash thin hash in, in his money belt this is 1969 yeah. wow. I mean, they didn't even Nobody got searched getting on an airplane right. back then. Right. Uh, you could get on the plane five minutes before it left the ground, have a chicken under your arms. Nobody would bother <laughs> you. So he came back from Istanbul with this hash, and I smoked it, and it was like such good hash. <laughs> and he said, uh, it's cheap. It's easy. They sell it on the street. So that idea was in my mind. Oh, okay. And I was working at the hospital, and I All walked right. past the cast room, and I thought, I can do that. It's easy to wrap a cast, and you know the the hash and Istanbul and the cast kind of wrapped it all together. And I went to Istanbul to smuggle hash. Now, so seemed like a good idea at the time. So to smuggle hash from there to the United States. Sure, because back then the the marijuana in the United States back then was pretty poor, and the hash and it's it's the same plant, just it was much better. Now the the pot in the United States is so incredibly good because they've got all of these kids, they you know coming out of college and growing in their chemistry majors, <laughs> which is good. I mean, if you like pot, it's it's good pot. Um, yeah. You know, right now we're talking pot and laughing about it, but there was a, an initiative yesterday in in L.A. Yeah. about how to deal with legalization, which right. is happening of course, all across the country. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, you can argue all sorts of different directions about laws and legalities and such, but I just know that putting 18, 19, 20-year-old kids in prison for marijuana is right. insane. Yeah. The war on drugs yeah. is insane. Yeah. It destroys their lives. It costs the county. You can look at it from a liberal point of view, humanitarian point of view. You can look at it from a conservative point of view, what it costs the American people to incarcerate all of these people for right. pot is insane. It's right. crazy. Sure. And they're not yeah. taxing the pot. They should be taxing it 
making yeah. it legal. You know, people smoke. They should be able to smoke. Yeah. Me, have you tried pot before? I mean, do you like it? Do you not like it? Is it up your alley? Or? You know what's funny? I actually don't. I feel like I'm the only person in Los Angeles <laughs> that doesn't. <laughs> That's okay. Keep your brain clean. That's fine. <laughs> smoke, don't smoke, whatever, you know. But exactly. The dangerous drugs like alcohol and tobacco that are really, literally, the drugs that are killing people are right. advertised in every sport event. Right. And true. tobacco is everywhere. And, That's you know, true. I don't know how people still smoke cigarettes. Yeah. It's just so proven. You're killing yourself. Yeah. It's real clear. That's true. Well, I'm a smoker. So. Well, I mean, you're and I'll killing tell yourself. You why. I know I'm I know why. Myself. Because it's addictive. It's the most addictive drug. <laughs> Tobacco, nicotine is way more difficult to get off of than even heroin, which is a really tough drug. Yeah, probably. It is. I just happen to enjoy it. You well, know? Of course it doesn't you do. ruin my you're, life. So. Well, I don't know if it ruins your life, but it certainly doesn't help your health. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah. But, but yeah, you don't but get arrested for, for it. That. My no, point. exactly. You don't get arrested for smoking. You don't get arrested for drinking wine. But right. a kid smoking grass, right. not in California, thank goodness, but in right. Nevada, you go across the border, geographical distinctions and legality, right. you get two years of your life in prison for the same joint exactly. that's legal here. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's, you know, it's just that's, on you. If that's you crazy. Like a piece on you or something, yeah. they'll be like, oh, that's so oh there's, there's residue in here. We, we could find something. Not only is it crazy, it. but the reality is it's the law. So whether you like it or not, you need to be aware of it. My mm-hmm. advice, people say, what's your advice? My first advice is uh, tape it under your arms. They'll never search you there. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't listen to that. The advice is do what you like and know what you're doing. Means Knowing what you're doing means you take responsibility for your actions because you have to live with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And as far as pot or something like that is concerned, you best be aware of where it's legal, where it's not. You travel in far off countries and other countries you really need to be aware of what's legal and what's oh, not yeah, because I mean, you find out the hard way. Yeah, I mean, the craziest thing to do is to carry drugs to another country. Now, back... So Who better than me to give you an example exactly. of how, <laughs> how stupid you would have to be to get caught smuggling drugs? Right. Now, now I know marijuana is, really smells strong, but does hash smell strong too? I mean, Sure, it's the same smell. Really? So how would you... How can you hope to get through customs and all that and sit in because the plane Because I was and young nobody and really it. dumb. Actually, the first time I smuggled it, I had it in the cast, so yeah. you wouldn't hear it. But uh, on my way back to New York Customs... But it would still smell. Well, you don't yeah, smell it in the, the cast. No? Like, Those, like, well, they don't have marijuana dogs. They weren't searching people back then. Now, of course, oh, there's true. dogs and people are getting searched. But you don't need this dogs. Was, I mean, this thing smells like just except, you know, being in except the room with nobody, it. Well, my, again, my first time I had it in a cast. Mm. My second time... I taped it to my body and then put on my shock my jacket and I got right. on the Orient Express and took a train out of Istanbul to Paris and then flew out. But Whoa. while it was on my body, I realized as the train started to leave that my body heat was beginning to make <laughs> the hash smell so oh my weird. God, like vaporized it. Yes, which freaked me out except the two old Yugoslavian women in my little compartment who were eating sausage throughout the night. They pretty much took care of the smell very quickly. It's a little rude, but it happened to be true. Uh, the third time, I put it on my T-shirt and put a sweater on. Uh-huh. And the fourth time, I just taped it onto my body and just walked onto the plane because I knew wow. I was smart enough and good-looking enough to get away with this. That's how <laughs> stupid I was. And that trip in October 1970, the PLO uh-huh. had just hijacked and blown up the first of the jets out in the Jordanian desert. Mm. The start of all the airport security control. Right. Prior to that, no one got searched getting on a plane. Right. So here I show up uh-huh. with four pounds of hash taped under my arms and around four my pounds. waist. And they were searching people literally at the airport, body searching. Wow. Because they don't oh have metal God. detectors. This is 1970 mm. in right. Istanbul. It was 
kind of backward. Istanbul now is like one of the powerhouses of the world, economically, geopolitically, but it was still kind of backwards back then. Right. They didn't have fancy things, and they were just beginning to start all the airport security controls. And up I march, the last place in the world you want to be doing what I was doing. In fact, right. I looked out the window of the bus and saw all these Turkish soldiers surrounding the plane with a table set up in front of the boarding ramp where they were going to search people. My thought, uh-huh. first oh thought my was... Gosh. This can't be happening. I denied reality. This can't be happening. This can't be happening to me. But it was. Whoa. It was. So, but there were three times where you successful. Yes. Yes. Wow. Now, how old were you when you first decided to do this? 22. April of yeah. 1969 was my first trip. Every six months. October of 1969 was my second trip. April of 1970 was my third trip. And October of 1970 was my last trip. Wow. <laughs> now, Mia, would you at 22 go to another country? No, she's birth? not that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> she's a smart actress. She's got her life in, in, all together. She's out here doing films in L.A. Uh, no, she wouldn't do that. No, that's it. Yeah, that's messy of you. Of course, I'd have dreams about being like a super badass and yeah. doing something crazy like that. But no, it actually never happened. No, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, wait, wait till you that. hear his story in jail right. and you stuff wouldn't like, like prison God, me, yeah. I guarantee you. Oh, no, 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 I probably would not no. love prison. No. no, I'm just reading up on Amanda Knox. You know who she yeah, is? Sure, of course. You know who she is, mm-hmm. Amanda Knox? Yeah, yeah, and really. she just came out with her book, and right. I'm reading that four years in jail to be accused of something you didn't do, you know? Uh, 20, she was Supposedly 20. she didn't. Well, she yeah. has been convicted of it. You realize that. Yeah, but she was let go. And, you know, I've read three books on it, and I think, it's my opinion, uh, that yeah, she's not sure. guilty. I don't think she was in the house. But at any rate, um, the, the thing is, is that the story um, in jail and stuff is just so frightening for a 20-year-old, you know, girl to be in jail like that, you know? And, uh, yeah. yeah, so I can imagine what, your jail was like. I mean, this is this is not Italy. This was Turkey, and this was way back in the 70s. Right. And um, my God. So okay. So l- let's get a little bit into the detail here. So the first time you decided, I'm going to go to Turkey, do what my friend is doing, and make money, right? So right. you did it for the money, right? Right. And for the adventure. For the adventure too. But I should have been more ambitious and taken a boat and brought back a hundred kilos. I just brought <laughs> back two kilos each trip because it made me about five thousand dollars, which again I'm twenty two years old. I got no responsibilities. Right. I got money in my pocket, hash in my pocket, a motorcycle under me. Uh, no, if it was summer that. of love. Talk about the summer of love. The, you know, Jesus. There was, there was no AIDS, sex, drugs, rock and roll. God, right. I love the 60s. So, yeah, so we got to put it in perspective and remember what time it was when you were doing right. this. You know, it was totally different. So, now, um, so so you flew to Turkey. Right. And so you didn't need to know anybody there, right? You just said you get it on the street? My friend who had been there said that you can just buy it anywhere, sell it on the street. In fact, he said, go to the pudding shop, which is the famous hippie hangout. And he said, just hang around there, and you know, which I did. And Actually, my very first night there, I met some people who I arranged the next day to hook up with and buy some hash from, and they actually ripped me off for my <laughs> for the three hundred dollars that I had, oh. like a total like a total fool. Uh, I got ripped off, and that just that pissed me off so much. And I went back and tried and confronted these guys. I actually met two other Americans who had also been ripped off by really? these guys, and. Uh, you know, I kind of blustered up into his face, and the next thing I know, he's opened his coat and he's got this big pistol in his belt. It's like, yeah, oh, uh, goodbye, we're out of there. Uh, and then I, I, but you know, I, I, I was young and resilient, and I don't give up easy. And I wired my friend, and he wired some more money. And then I, I actually met a cab driver 
who tried to rip me off at first. But, you know, I'm not quite so dumb now. Right. And then he took me back to his house where I sat around with his wife and his young kids while the cabbie and his brother-in-law pressed the Hass powder into <laughs> plaques. I wanted them about this big, so I, I knew where I was going to tape them and such. Right. And hash is really like compressed. Hash is marijuana. Pot, right? It's a different way of processing. Right, it's more exactly. of the oil. It's more compressed. And back then, it was so much better <coughs> than any of the pot that was grown here. Again, now the marijuana here, the quality is as good or better than right. anything in the world. Right. It's a THC content, tetrahydrocannabinol. Right. It's, what, it's what's in the pot. And right. what is it that makes it better? Is it the soil that it's grown in? Yeah, it's or? how it's grown and how they uh, they can you know do all sorts of things with the plants and pick out the best buds and take you you separate the female from the, the male plants at a certain right. point. There's and female and male plants? They are, yes. Oh, yeah. in fact, <laughs> yeah. And, and, so and you want to keep them apart because if they <laughs> pollinate, then the uh, the effectiveness of the pot is less. All that kind of stuff that the kids, do, they all do it now. Right. But again, ah. it's it's marijuana. It's the right. same plant. And they only, use the, they only use the female plants to get high. You know, I mean, it's just... But the male ones are for hemp and things like that, hemp right? Is a, hemp is the uh, plant that grows out of the ground. I mean, right. pot is the flowery top of it. Exactly. Hemp, mm-hmm. we have been using hemp for 10,000 years. Hemp is an amazing plant. Hemp is part of... It's been used by humans for all sorts of pharmaceutical things. The flowers are used. Right now, hemp could be taking the place of all of the trees that we cut down every year. Mm -hmm. Hemp could be used for all sorts of medical reasons. It's the reason why in 1937, marijuana hemp was actually made illegal mostly through the efforts of William Randolph Hearst and Mm -hmm. his media empire because hemp threatens timber because it could replace timber and DuPont who had the chemical industry because hemp can be used and has been used by men for 10,000 years as a medicinal herb. I mean it's got all sorts of wonderful properties but it threatened both of these guys. It's money. Because of the money they made it illegal. They went through the government just like people are doing now like the Koch brothers now. Spend money and try and influence the elections. People do that. They've been always doing it. They made it illegal and they put through the newspapers, especially through Hearst's media empire, they put out this perception of the drug from hell and, you know, the pathway to hell. And if you smoke a joint, next thing you know, you'll be shooting needles in your arms and killing your grandmother. And, you know, none of that's true. Right. But they keep putting it out there and putting it out there. And the law, Richard Nixon, who I despise, Richard Nixon really started the war on drugs. And it was the war on drugs that has been in place now for 40 or 50 years that has created... Again, plants grow out of the ground. They're cheap. Pot, mm. pot, marijuana, heroin. It all, it's all a plant. Tobacco, all plants in the ground. They're cheap unless you make them illegal. Mm. And that makes them expensive. And that brings in this violent subculture that has come up around the drug war. Right. So many people die because of it. And it creates this overcrowded prison system because half of our prison population is in there for consensual crimes, right. for pot for prostitution, for gambling. I mean, why are people being put in jail for that? It's yeah. insane. Yeah. Those police efforts should be put to deal with the real bad guys. I know real bad guys. I lived for five years with bad guys. Bad guys are people who don't care about other human beings. They have no concern, and they will screw right. anybody and anything for any reason. They have no morals. The police should be dealing with them. We need the police. Don't right. be picking up pot smokers. That's crazy. Right. It corrupts right. the police department. It corrupts the legal system. It overcrowds our prisons. And we're wasting all this money that California should be taxing, as we are now, taxing the whole industry mm. and making it legal. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. No, absolutely. But let's go back to your yes. story. Whoever's joining us right now, we're talking to Billy Hayes, uh, on whose story uh, the movie Midnight Express was based uh, back in uh, the 70s. 
Oh, you brought us a book That's here. the new one. That's, That's a new book. The, the Those are the letters that I wrote home to my family, my friends, and my girlfriend. Mainly half the letters are to her. Wow. The Midnight Express letters. That's what I used to write Midnight Express. And oh. I put all those letters into a cardboard box, put them up in the attic for like 25 years. At one point, my wife was making me clean out the attic, which I hate to do. And once I start, it's like, I'm getting all this crap out of here. And I, I took the box of letters, and I had them down on the street waiting for the garbage to pick up. And she made me bring them back in the house. Wow. I told this story to a friend of mine, also my lawyer, and he said, what letters? And I said, oh, these old moldy letters, 40-year-old letters. When I came home, everybody gave me back all the letters that I wrote to people from oh, prison, wow. and I used them to write Midnight Express. He looked at a few of these letters, and he said, you need to take all these out. Read them, type them out, annotate them, and make a book, which I thought was ridiculous, because who cares about 40-year-old letters? But as I read them, I realized there's an interesting book here. You know, right. This was never meant to be a book. These were letters out to family, friends, and girlfriend, These right. are a way to connect with, with sanity, and, and they could get beyond the bars, the letters, but I couldn't. And I'm a writer, so every day I wrote. So I took all of these letters and culled them down to about a 200-page book, mm. which was a very interesting experience to reread these letters after so long after so oh, long yeah. they sucked me as soon as I read them they sucked me right back into that kid I knew each letter I knew exactly where I was I can smell the place I could hear the sounds I, I knew wow. what was happening emotionally it yeah. was a catharsis just like writing Midnight Express the first book mm. I get home on a Friday there was a press conference at the airport a hundred reporters I just stepped off the plane <laughs> Billy Billy what's it feel like to be home wow. I don't know I just got here I haven't <laughs> seen my mom yet this went Aww. on for the next three years yeah. but by Friday, I got home. By Monday, I was writing Midnight Express. And I didn't want to write it. I wanted to forget prison, not write about it. But it brought up all the stuff. But as a catharsis, it, it truly, as the words came out of me, they were creating all these nightmares and prison dreams as soon as I got out. But as the words stuck to the paper, they kind of stuck out of my head. And it, it was good for me to write the first book. Right. But wow. the book wasn't even finished. I had an early galley and draft of it when I was flying to... Hollywood? Are you kidding? To talk about making a movie, which and six months ago, I'm in prison eating beans, yeah. and now they're flying me to Hollywood to talk about a movie. It was a very bizarre transition back into life. I, I, a good one. You know, I was happy to be free, but a very bizarre one. But all of those letters, as I've gathered them now, I realize it creates a very interesting arc to see who that – I can almost look at him third person – who that – crazy kid was who was writing these letters at 23, 24, 25 right. and the desperation yeah. it's also embarrassing to read what what you think you ah, see when it gets personal I make it you second person what I thought it's very embarrassing to, to see what I thought about life mm. so young yeah. and so foolish but my lawyer yeah. said you know what verbatim you can't change a word and there's a lot of words I wanted to change because oh god did I really say that but it creates an interesting book Right. No, oh, definitely. So, um, the so the first three times you just walked through customs, both in Turkey and in the United States. Uh, the first time you, I walked through customs in Istanbul and New York with the cast around my leg. The right. second time I taped it to my body, got on the train in Istanbul, and took the train to Paris, right. and then flew to to through New York, to and I just had it in my bag because nobody searched you. Wow. It's in your bag, nobody in searched your you. Bag. The third time, uh, the same thing. And the fourth time, I just taped it to my body, and I've got, I have got—I took the Orient Express train back and forth the second and the third time because I wanted all these stamps in my passport. I don't, I don't oh, want my passport okay. just to read Istanbul, New York, Istanbul, New York, Istanbul, New York. Right. So I got all these wonderful foreign passports and took the Orient Express, the train across Europe, wow. had a bunch of adventures on the way, and mm -hmm. then took it back again. The fourth time, I've got all the stamps in my passport. 
actually, I knew that the PLO had hijacked the jets. I'd heard about this. So I went out to the airport the day before I was scheduled to fly, and I watched dark shades, hat pulled low. So cool and casual. <laughs> Watching people as they go through customs for the Pan Am flight number one, nonstop, every day, one o'clock, Istanbul to New York. I watched people going through customs. Nobody was getting body searched. They didn't have any metal detectors. I figured, piece of cake. Wow. And I head back into town to hook up with the... Uh, the English girl who was studying belly dancing here in Istanbul, who just can't wait to show me her latest moves every day, <laughs> instead of actually watching people get on the plane. Once again, being led by something other than my brain, which usually leads me into trouble. I is this... Can, can I? Can you curse on the air? Yes. Here? Oh, in that it. case, I, my dick. Following my dick around, which <laughs> and look where it leads me. Instead of watching Typical people guy. go through, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> if I had just gone through and watched people get on the plane, I'd see, wow, they're searching people at the plane, oh. and I'd have known and done something else, thrown it away or taken a train again. Instead, I show up the next day. Breeze through customs. I've got the, my normal two kilos of hash taped to my body. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody's getting searched. Uh, but they keep us all in this little downstairs room for a while, which is a little odd, but no problem. Again, James Bond, just through <laughs> customs and feeling yeah. fine. And they put us on a bus, take us out to the, to the plane, and this old lady from Chicago is talking to me about a son in the Air Force. <laughs> I look out the window, and there's all of these Turkish soldiers surrounding the plane. Oh and that's God. where they, they got a, a big brown table set up in front of the boarding room with two cops on each side mm. where they're wow. apparently going to be searching people getting oh on the plane. God. No turning back from there. No, there's Mia. I, I, I looked. At, where could I go? Yeah. I couldn't go back. Oh I couldn't gosh. rip it off my body. All I could wow. do is try to balls it out and blow my way onto the plane. I actually, they had a big jumble of men bulking around these two cops and I kind of like, I slid through the crowd and I sort of mm. slid past the first cop and then nodded at the second cop while I was putting stuff back into my shoulder pack, my book and a blue frisbee. I, I nodded, yeah, this guy searched me. Really? And I actually had one foot up in the air in front of the boarding ramp when this hand grabbed my elbow. Wow. There wow. are those dramatic moments when you know wow. your life hangs in the balance. I knew it then. The first cop just happened to finish with a prisoner and catch my guy's eye and my guy nodded like, did you search him? And he looked at me and he shook his head no and the grip on my elbow tightens because the guy realizes I just lied to him. Wow. So he has me put my arms oh, no. up in the air and he starts to search me and he hits these hard plaques under my arms and he keeps going and he hits these hard plaques around my waist <laughs> and he keeps going down my legs towards my boots I find myself praying again me a Catholic who left the church at the age of reason and puberty please Jesus get me out of here I will never do this shit again but you know he comes back up and he hits the hard plaques under my arms and he freezes wow. and I see it and his eyes start to widen and his hands start to shake, and then he, I'm holding my breath, he freaks out, jumps back, pulls out his gun, starts screaming, bamba, bamba, and all the soldiers put their rifles wow. down, and all the people are screaming and falling oh on the ground, and I'm standing oh with my, my arms in the air, waiting to be shot. Wow. Uh, what is, what yeah. an experience. I was like holding my breath, yeah. just listening to him right now. It's, it's <laughs> not even over, I just, you gotta stop me, because yeah. I'll do this forever. He comes up, he, this gun is shaking, he puts this shaky gun into my stomach, and he <laughs> slowly lifts up my sweater, and it takes him a moment to realize it's not a mad bomber wired with explosives. It's just mm -hmm. some idiot out here smuggling hash. I can see all the tension goes out of his face. Hashish, hashish, he says that he lowers his gun. All the soldiers put their rifles down. They're all relieved. The people are all relieved. I'm not so relieved. It's the beginning of a very long five years. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So they arrested you right there on right, the spot. Right, right. And uh, did you have any trial or anything? I, mean, I had, uh, let's see, they arrested me. They took me to the police station. I spent the night there. The next day, they brought me out to the Istanbul prison. And I went to court, I think, 14 times in the first 12 months. 
you get chained up in the prison van off to the court. You spend all day in this little smoky, stuffy room downstairs. Wow. And they bring you up two minutes of proceedings. And you, Had they charged you before that? or uh, uh, you cop, I kept getting charged in the course of things. Again, I, yeah. I, we went to court about once a month. But, you, but we, proceedings would happen in Turkish, and they'd be talking, and you don't know. And they'd chain you up, the and they take you on. away. I didn't speak Turkish at the time. Wow. Eventually, I learned Turkish, but not for the first year. I kept thinking, yeah. I don't need to learn. Oh, wow. You know, I'm not going to be here that long. That's how right. stupid I was. I kept denying the reality. You know, I learned numbers and such because you have to always deal and make commerce. But I, I refused to learn Turkish because I knew I wouldn't be here long enough to need it. Wow. After about a year, I said, you know, maybe I might need that. Uh, <laughs> how were learn. you getting along with the prisoners, with the other prisoners? They had, mostly they had a uh, one-cell block. The prison is a big prison, and it's got a lot of different sections and places. And they kept all the foreigners in one-cell block of some you know, foreign prisoners from all over the world, mixed them with a couple of Turkish guys. It's always 70, 80, 90 guys in our cell block. Mm. And, you know, I get along fine. I'm I'm good with getting along with people. It's interesting thing about jail is you learn stuff about yourself. Yeah. It's, it's a very there interesting... there a lot of other Americans? There were you? two or three Americans in there at different times, but there were always Germans and Russians and a lot of Yugoslavians, Australian kids, mm-hmm. you know, French people, Italians, wow. Swedish, wow. Israelis. Were, like, were they all like smuggling the same way? A lot of them were in there for pot. Yeah. You know, if you got caught with a joint, the smallest amount of pot, it, the minimum yeah. was a 20-month sentence. Wow. So if you had a joint yeah. and a cop caught you, you spent 20 months in prison. But you know, there's still places in the States where it's Absolutely like that, Absolutely right? there are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Louisiana, all the southern states, all those crazy redneck voting yeah. for George Bush states, they <laughs> still arrest you for pot and put you in prison for a long time. Right. But you can drink down there, you can smoke cigarettes down there, you can carry a gun openly down there, and you can vote against your best interest. Don't get me started on politics. <laughs> we'll never get out of our hour. Yeah, that's okay. We'll invite you back to talk just about right. those things, you know. Yeah. But today we're focusing more on your story. So, um, so, so you were in jail for five years. Yes. Uh, about how long after you were incarcerated did you find out that you were guilty? I mean. There was uh, there was a trial, right? There were several trials. Again, several I went to trials. court 14 times. Eventually, I received a four-year and two-month sentence, which time off for good behavior meant I was going to be free in about another two years after I received the first sentence, which right. you know, I've been in there more than a year at this point, which seemed like a lifetime for me, right. 23 years old, two more years of jail. Yeah, my God. you know, but, Just for, for some drugs, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's not like you killed someone, you know? Well, no, I, you know, <laughs> but I, which I found very strange. Yeah. Considering. But again, I knew what the law was. You can complain about it. You right. can bitch about it, but it's still the law. Yeah, so you you're subject you to it. Wrong. Of course, you know. <laughs> I don't look for any sympathy from people. It's like if you're that dumb, yeah. you get yourself caught. But people should at least be aware of that exists. Again, young people should be aware that there's some deep holes out there. Yeah. Now, learn by example. In this case, certainly better somebody else's than your own. Yeah. Don't be stupid enough to get caught smuggling pots somewhere. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So uh, you were found guilty. Did you have, like, I, I would imagine you had Turkish lawyers that they appointed to you? Or? Uh, the American Council provided a list of lawyers. I had a bunch of Turkish lawyers over the years. And I was found guilty. I had a lot of time left. But I was looking for escape from the moment. From the moment I got arrested out there in the airport, I was looking for ways of escaping. Really? You were, thought it would actually work, that you'd actually Im- be able to escape? Immediately. Wow. <laughs> when I was at the airport, they... They arrested me at the airport, at the plane we just talked about. They took me to a room at the airport where they searched me and stripped all the hash off me and a bunch of cops were coming in and out. They were doing paperwork and all this stuff was happening. And then this American, I, I never knew his name. I call him Tex. I assumed he was with the DEA or something. But he was an American. He spoke English. That's all I wanted to know. He took me from this room with all these cops and things and brought me out to his car. 
and he was standing out in front while he was signing some paperwork with the Turkish officials. And I'm in the car, and I realize I don't have any handcuffs on. The door isn't locked. I figure we'll get by the sea. I'll open the door. I'll roll. I've gone from James Bond to Steve McQueen, the great <laughs> escape. And I'm gonna I'm gonna open the door, roll out, and then I hear the door open. And I turn my head, and there's a pistol pressed up against oh my, my temple. Oh, wow. And Tex says, uh, "William, you seem like a nice enough kid, and I feel sorry for you. But if you try and escape, I'll blow your fucking brains out." <laughs> I believed him. Me and me and Steve poured up any thought of escape until later, <laughs> much later, as it turns out. But he then drove me into the Istanbul. Lockup where I right. spent the night, which is an interesting place to spend your first night in jail. Yeah. And the next day they took me out to the prison, and that's where I spent essentially the next five years. Well, about four years, four and years. then eventually, just before being freed, my sentence was almost up. I tr- I went to a madhouse to try and get a crazy report from the movie Midnight Express. There's a whole scene in the madhouse, walking the wheel in the madhouse in the basement of this prison. Mm-hmm. Prison's bad, but there's an article as I discovered in the Turkish Constitution that says if you're if you are judged to be insane, legally crazy, they can't right. keep you in prison. But oh, if you're that really? crazy, they don't put you huh. on the street. They keep you right. in the madhouse, Bakikoy. Right. Just but like I, they do here. Just like here. But I had yeah. heard that Bakikoy <laughs> was a much better place to escape from right. than the prison. So I went to the madhouse to convince the doctors there that I was crazy. Not a problem most of my right. friends in the 60s would think I'd have. <laughs> and then I get to Bakikoy, Section 13 for the criminally insane and I see the competition. Oh, my God. Whoa. Oh, my God. I spent two and a half, almost three weeks in this madhouse. And uh, I actually, I didn't get my crazy report. They sent me back, but I knew I could get back to Bakikoy. It's a matter of bribing the prison doctor. Right. And I've now I've got a record that I've been there, so they would send me back for further observation. And I knew I could escape from Bakikoy. It was an old building built in the, for the Ottoman Empire, or the Janissari troops, and now it's turned into this crazy hospital bin. But I knew I could get out of that place if I had somebody on the outside who I could trust, somebody with a car, somebody with false papers, passports, and money. So for that, I, I had my old friend from New York. He he came to visit me, and we made some plans, and we wrote back and forth, and he actually came to the prison. Then he went back to Mannheim, Germany, where he was working in the John Deere tractor factory, making some money and arranging with the Germans to get false papers and a car and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was going to help me. I'd go back to Bakikoy, and he would help me escape. And then some time passed, and uh, a telegram arrived one day from my dad saying that my Norman, my, my friend Norman, was found dead in his hotel room in Mannheim with a big army bayonet through right. his chest, which he... Norman was the kind of guy, women couldn't leave him alone, and he couldn't leave women alone. He'd written in one of his letters that he was having an affair with the wife of some army sergeant from the nearby <laughs> yeah. base. Oh, boy. And, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and it, there's no better way to get killed than to mess with a man's wife, and... Yeah. Uh, he was screwing this guy's wife, and we never found out. Nobody ever figured it out, but he's got a bayonet through his chest. But right. that pretty much that was pretty much the lowest point of my life. It shattered me. Not only have I screwed up my own life, not only am I causing daily pain to the people who love me, that my mom goes to sleep every night with pain in her heart right. because of what I've done. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the hardest part of jail for me. Yeah. yeah. And now my best friend has died because of me. So it, yeah. it pretty much set me down really bad, and all my hopes for escape were gone, too. So... What I did was I turned off the escape switch, which made all the difference. Really? <laughs> Suddenly, prison was like – I was seeing prison with new eyes. It was a different place. I literally was a different person. I So everything changed. I got I, – I was into yoga. I started doing it before I got busted, and I did it really, really intensely from this point on. And I started just – it was weird. I began to enjoy prison. How strange is that? But I was getting – 
I was learning things. Interesting thing about pressure is it brings things up out of you that you might not known about, strengths and weaknesses that right. I needed to learn about. There were things I really needed to learn that I wouldn't have learned on the outside. I was going so fast and so crazy and just you know running around the world wild and nuts, and it stopped me and forced me to ask questions about metaphysical things like you know why am I here in this right. prison in this body in yeah. this life in this existence eventually in this mind. that's what happens you know when you get so low you start looking up yes, you know I, well you do and, and, and you, it's a you look for God and you look for well all kinds yes of well God like I was again raised as a Catholic God didn't mean much to me until in jail I became more spiritual I got in touch mm. with values that I needed to learn about and I discovered yeah. things in jail that to this day hold me in good stead I, yeah. I, I discovered my reason for being which is simply to love. Yeah. I never knew that. Wow. So simple, but it's the truth. Yeah. It's when I follow that. When I, you know, again, I'm, I'm touching my heart chakra here. When I follow my heart, my head and my balls lead me astray. That's obvious. <laughs> but when I follow my heart, it takes me in the right place. And I, I learned that in jail, that that's wow. my reason for being. And that, that in and of itself changed everything in prison. I was able to live in the moment and just take every day and just love the wow, fact that we're that's alive. Amazing. That's admirable. You it know, was I easy to do, do because it. I was also counting off the days. I right. had a calendar. 56, 50, 54 days I think I'm going free. Yeah. And suddenly 54 days before I'm going free, the council shows up and tells me you're going to have a new court. They've changed your sentence from Ankara. You'll go to prison. You'll go to court again and you're going to now be resentenced to life in jail. Wow. Uh. Which... <laughs> It was like the ceiling falling on my head again. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, we're almost out of time, mm -hmm. but you've got so much to tell that we'll definitely have to invite you back. And as far as the escape and stuff, maybe people should read the letters, right? Read well, the Midnight the, Express letters. It's uh, Amazon. Express you can letters. pick it up as both an e-book or as a print book. And those, if you really want to know what it feels like inside prison, Midnight Express letters will tell you because that's... That's what it feels like. Right. Wow. So definitely read that. Now, the original book you also wrote. Midnight Express. Right? There's Midnight a revised version of Midnight Express also out at Amazon now. Yeah. Oh, really? So it's a revised version. Midnight Express and the Midnight Express letters are both out now. I'm going to read both of them. I'm telling you. I'm like so fascinated with this. Thank you. And like so I said, excited. Yeah, because the movie, <laughs> I mean, I was a kid when I saw it, and it left something in my mind. It's you know? a powerful film. Yeah. yeah. It made me really fear prison at that time wow. you know fear prison yeah. is a good result the fact yeah. that it created this overall impression that turkey's this terrible place and all turks are bad people that's my problem with the movie they're not it's mm. obviously right. and it's a wonderful city don't right. get caught you won't like the prison i guarantee you that <laughs> but turkey itself i love this Istanbul. I, yeah. I love the idea of going back there awesome now where can people find out more about you do, do you have a website i or? do it needs to be updated i need a teenager but it's uh, billyhays.com and it's okay. got some of the updated stuff on it but it needs a lot of work which I can't do I can barely open my own emails so I got <laughs> somebody who put this website together for me yeah sounds good well Mia thank you so much for joining me thank you Thanks my pleasure of course it's always a pleasure having a guest especially one that talks a lot then you yeah. can just <laughs> or sit back yeah you slap can just me, sit slap so, me sometimes so fascinating. <laughs> I need my wife here to just slap me like shut up you're talking too much but you know you get me talking no, and you I keep to, going so you've got great, a lot to tell me. I appreciate you having such a beautiful yeah. guest here I mean yeah. not that you're not a good-looking guy but it's nice to look at Mia while <laughs> I'm talking yeah. there you go there nice you go now uh, Mia do you want people to find you where on Twitter Facebook anywhere do you have a website do you want anybody to find you um yeah sure yeah okay. you can find me on Twitter. i mean well i'm new with the whole like social media thing after i started you know working on pieces of ass like you have to right. get a twitter and a facebook and all this stuff um but yeah i do have a twitter it's the the at sign mm -hmm. and then m-i-a-d-o-r-a-n so mia good. doran just mia my name. doran there you go and mia thanks so much for joining me
Thank you. Billy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, sir. And we'll definitely invite you back. Appreciate we can it. do a whole show just on marijuana and stuff. I'd like to. I mean, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. We should. We should. It's, it's a big, important issue. We're we laughing, will. but it truly is an important issue. Right it now. is. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. listening to Sam in the Morning, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. To get in contact with the show, please send email to info at latalkradio.com. Sam in the Morning is a production of L.A. Talk Radio. We say what we want.